Hey gang, you're listening to the r Rounds podcast. I'm Jonathan Wallace, and I'm back with another interesting case from Fort St. Nowhere. So this particular case is a young lad of just under two years of age, about 22 months, who is brought in by his mother with corn up his nose. So a couple of kernels of yellow corn that he managed to put up his nose. Now at home, the family was able to remove one of the kernels, but they're pretty convinced there's still something up there. And at 22 months, he's not particularly insightful at this point, but he's kind of complaining that there may be something in the nose. Now this was actually seen by a colleague of mine who was able to actually have a look in there with a light and felt that he could actually see a hint of yellow hiding in the nose just beyond the reach of fingers. So question number one is, what would you do if you were in Fort St. Nowhere? It's 11 o'clock at night and this child is brought in relatively calm, but when you begin to go near him with some sort of metal-looking tool, he begins to freak out. So go ahead and hit pause right now and just give that a little bit of thought. And when you've come up with your answer, then hit play and I'll tell you what we did. Okay, so the first thing I do when it comes to a foreign body in the nose is I have the parent do a little bit of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. More specifically, I have the parent make a seal over the child's mouth and I have them occlude the open nostril. And then basically the parent is going to artificially blow the nose of the child by blowing hard into their mouth. Now, I don't see foreign bodies in the nose very often, maybe maybe a half a dozen or so in the last decade. But when I do see them, this trick works a huge percentage of the time. In fact, I have never seen it fail yet, except for this particular case. And so we tried that. The mother gave a really valiant effort, but unfortunately the corn was still stuck in there. So now we're in this situation where we have this child. It's late at night. There's no ENT specialist to call. And I'm being asked to provide a sedation so that we can get in there some tools and try and get this kernel of corn out. So here comes question two now. We're approaching the need for a pediatric sedation. This is a kid who's pretty calm when he's in his mother's arms and nobody's really making a big fuss over him. But when you begin to come near him with some sort of tool, for example, an IV start, he's going to freak out and make life very difficult for everybody involved. So what are our options? And of the options that you can think of, which one are you going to choose? And the more specific you get, the better your learning will be. So I would again encourage you to hit pause Think about this for a couple of minutes, and when you're ready with some sort of answer, come on back and I'll tell you what we did. Okay, so off the top of my head, the options are you can try some sort of oral sedation, something like a codeine and midazolam apple juice cocktail. The problem with that is it's very difficult to titrate. It takes a really long time for onset and then various top-ups. You may be investing an hour, hour and a half just to get this child into a state where they're more relaxed. So it's workable. But the other thing is now you have filled up their stomach potentially, and so if you do need to start an IV and give them a top up, now you're not dealing with as fasted a status as you would have had before potentially. So not my favorite option, but something to consider. Next option would be a intranasal sedation. You can get those fancy little atomizers that are made out of foam. They look like a little cone. They lure lock onto the end of a syringe, and you can squirt some sort of medication like midazolam or fentanyl or ketamine up into the nose and that's an option. Next option, you can start an IV if you're technically able to overpower the child and get it in, and you can then give them IV medication, and of course that's going to give you your tightest control and your best titration. It's going to be the quickest onset, but potentially traumatizing for the child and the parent until you get that IV and that first dose in. 
And lastly, you can do nothing. You can be a barbarian. You can wrap that child up in a blanket, sit on them, and hold them down for, you know, a short three minutes of agony while everybody sweats and tries to get this thing out. Probably not the most patient-centered option, but an option nonetheless. So what I did was number two. I do the intranasal sedation. And I have to say, over the last decade or so, I have been monitoring my various intranasal sedation attempts and the results, and I'm working my way to trying to find the right cocktail. Ketamine is my first choice, and the dose I like to use is in the range of the literature, which is 3 to 9 milligrams per kilogram, which you're then giving intranasally. So that's a big range, 3 to 9, and I choose that range based on how adrenergic the child is. If this is a child who is like the most relaxed child in the world and super passive and I'm kind of questioning whether I really need sedation in the first place but decide to go with it, they would get three. I can't say I see those children very often, but if you see one, low is probably just fine. For kids who are relatively calm like this child was, five milligrams per kilogram is my starting dose. And I find there's a pretty high efficacy with just using five. For children that are super amped, parents that are not really coping very well and not handling the situation, and I just want to take this child down, 9 milligrams per kilogram. Now one question I get asked a lot about with ketamine is secretions. And it's legitimate. I mean, about 1 in 10 cases, even when I'm using low-dose ketamine, I do see some hypersalivation. It is extremely rare that it's a problem. But in any procedural sedation setup, you would be very wise to make sure you have functioning suction in place before you get started pushing drugs. So in this particular 22-month-old, he weighed 12.5 kilograms. So I did the math 5 times 12, because I'm lazy, 60 milligrams, and now I have to choose my actual solution. So ketamine comes in two flavors. It comes in a 10 milligrams per milliliter concentration, which would work out to 6 milliliters of fluid squirting up a nose in this kid. Not ideal. It also comes in a 50 milligrams per milliliter. So that is now 1.2 milliliters up this kid's nose, much more reasonable. Now, I really don't like to squirt more than one milliliter at a time into somebody's nose. It's unpleasant, it's water. So the lower the concentration, the better. And so if I'm going to go over one milliliter as I need to in this child, I'm going to split it between both nostrils. So that's what I did. I took two three milliliter syringes and drew up 30 milligrams in each syringe, that is 0.6 of a milliliter in each syringe. I put an atomizer on both of those syringes and away we went. Now, why am I using a three milliliter syringe? And again, this comes from experience. I could use a one milliliter syringe, but if you look at what that actually entails, you have to draw back on that plunger a long way. And it's a very narrow set of cylinders and it's very unstable. And it's kind of uncomfortable when you're trying to squish this fluid into a squirmy child. A 3 milliliter syringe, on the other hand, when you draw up that same volume, 0.6 of a milliliter, you're only drawing back that plunger a very short way, which means it's much more stable inside its barrel, and I only have to have a very quick thumb action to squirt that into the nose. And so, again, based on experience, for these intranasal atomizations, a 3 milliliter syringe is a much smarter way to go than a 1 milliliter syringe. So a little tidbit there. So this is what we did. We moved the child into the high acuity monitoring area. I didn't even worry about putting a monitoring device on or oxygen on. It just is not worth fighting the child and upsetting the child. We then taco wrap the child because we don't need his arms helping us while we're trying to squirt this medication in. Now I've mentioned taco wrapping several times during this episode and I realize on further listing that that might not be totally clear 
I think the classic term is burrito wrapping, but really what we're talking about is taking a blanket, wrapping around a child with their arms tucked out of the way so that they can't really fight back so easily, but they're hugged nice and warmly. I feel like that's a skill that's taught very nicely in nursing school, and I have yet to meet a nurse who is not familiar with what it is I'm asking for. But just to clarify, that's what I meant by taco wrap. I had both of my doses ready to go. I had a piece of gauze ready to go because sometimes there's a little bit of medication that squirts out. So we cover the nose just briefly with the gauze just to prevent any blowback. And I explained to mom what we were doing. She held the child's head in her two hands and looked into his eyes so he could see her the entire time. And then we gave the medication. Squirt, squirt, done. Untaco him, let him sit on the bed with the bed rails up. Mom's right there looking at him, talking to him, just keeping him calm. And it worked really, really well. About five minutes went by, and you could see that he was just kind of getting a little bit dazed. He was really interested with that light pattern on the bed that came from the overhead procedure light. He had a fancy little plush toy that the hospital had given him, and he was kind of tripping out with the psychedelic colors under that light. And we could tell that it was just beginning to work. So we brought out the little Band-Aid style pulse oximeter and showed him the little red light. And he was a little bit leery of that, so we just waited. And about the 10 minute mark, he was chill enough that we could pop that on. We could put on a blood pressure cuff to monitor his blood pressure. We could even get the blood pressure reading and he was doing very well. At that point, we got a little face mask for oxygen, just for blow by. He didn't desaturate, but we just wanted to be ready. So that was laid out, ready to go. And by 15 minutes, he was nicely relaxed, and that's the point where we came along with a tiny little IV, a 24 gauge, and we slipped that into his hand, and he cried a little bit, but not nearly to the point where if we had not had that ketamine on board, he was pretty easy to hold still, and with that level of ketamine, I really don't think that he would have any recollection of this experience at all. And I explained that to mom, and she seemed quite calm the entire time too, which made things really easy. We had the IV in and I had my propofol ready to go. So as soon as that IV went in, I had a little short IV lock primed with propofol, not saline, propofol. We connected that up and I pushed in my initial dose, which was 10 milligrams. So just under one milligram per kilogram, just because I wanted to get him off to sleep pretty quick. And I was pretty confident that even if he went apneic, we had the oxygen right there, I could do a little jaw thrust and it would be just fine. He did not go apneic, he just kind of fluttered his eyes a little bit and mellowed out a little bit. And in fact, over the next minute or two, I gave him extra little aliquots of about 0.5 milliliters, so five milligrams of propofol at a time until we got him into a point where his eyes were closed, he was breathing spontaneously. We were able to put a rolled up blanket under his shoulders just to get his head into further extension, just to facilitate the view. And then my colleague came along with his fancy bucket of tools and was able to reach in and pop that piece of corn out. Easy, no desaturations, blood pressure was stable throughout, lots of monitoring. The monitoring was on well before there were any changes in the vital signs. It was super, super slick. Five milligrams per kilogram intranasal using that little atomizer device worked extremely well. Now, if you think this is something you might have to do, I would encourage you next time you're in your hospital to go look and see if you have these little foam cone-shaped atomizer devices because they gotta be super cheap and if you have them, it's gonna make squirting fluid into someone's nose so much easier rather than dribbling it in through a unmodified three mil syringe. So check that out. And if you don't have them in your department, order them now so that they're ready to go when you next need them. Just a little disclaimer, I do not actually work for Big Atomizer. I do not collect money for the purchase of these little devices. I just think they're really good for this particular application. I hope that was a helpful case. 
do me a solid. If you're enjoying this podcast, please recommend it to your friends. Post it on Facebook or whatever the cool kids are using these days and try and get the word out there that this is a rural resource that we're trying to build and help people out. And send me your feedback. Let me know what it is you want to be hearing about and how we can make this better. And if you're listening to this and you'd like to give it a try, let me know. We'd love to have you on and hear what you have to say as well. So stay tuned. Good things are to come. And until then, bye for now.